before we get into the sermon, to look at this bulletin, just two things we need to underscore. One is that next Saturday and uh, next Sunday night, we've got a bunch of kids we're trying to reach for Christ that have prepared a musical presentation for you. You see that? You are God. Anybody's kid going to be in this? Like, would you stand, those who have children? You're never going to be friends with these people if you don't come. <laughs> okay, thank you. Sandy uh, works with these kids. They do a wonderful job. Be Saturday evening presentation, and then our next Sunday night. So we want to underscore that for you. And then, uh, unless it was a typographical error, there's something on the front page. Hello, I'm glad to be back. Well, after nearly eight or nine weeks, and you're getting so tired of the subject of we know, I want to share seven things you ought to be certain about. Seven things that John, just like that, he sums up the book. Seven things you ought to get. You ought to know. Seven times he says, we know. We know. And he's been saying it all the way through the book. Now, my question to you, do you know yet? Do you know? So let's begin. Verse 13, the theme of the book. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may hope that you have eternal life at the end. Uh, so that you'll get last rites and maybe you'll get in. Uh, or you can never really know. You've got to wait till all the points are added up at the end of life. Uh, and he said, we who believe in the Son, we know that, so eternal life is a present possession, not a future reward. You get eternal life now. What is eternal life? Look at verse 12. He who has the Son has the eternal life. The life is going back to verse 11. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. You see, it's like this. If I uh, put this bulletin here and uh, I say, here, just take my Bible. If you'll accept that, you'll get what's in it. And God said, you accept my son, I'm going to give you his quality of life, his eternal life. You don't become God's, but God shares his quality of life with you. And you get it the moment you put faith in Jesus Christ. It becomes a present possession of the saved, and it goes on forever. Now, uh, it's amazing how many people grow up in church never thinking you can know you've got it. Or you can lose it a few times before you ever get there. Uh, it's not a big gospel and very comforting. Say, so I want to give you something that I know you're going to lose within a few years, but I'd like for you to taste it in the meantime. That's not good news. And uh, uh, Carolyn's grandmother was a Cumberland Presbyterian uh, that got... Uh, really saved and got wound up with a bunch of wild Pentecostals. 
Uh, it, back there, uh, her family, the G side of her family, all got into Pentecost back in the Midwest. So this Cumberland Presbyterian gal winds up marrying one of them. So here we go. And uh, God had mercy on her anyway. And uh, she was saved, baptized, had fire, you know, all that. But she used to always testify and rather uh, and say, no, it was your other grandmother that would say, always the testimonies, I have a no-so salvation. That's so simple. Do you know? Uh, let me ask you, there's different ways of knowing. Uh, how many of you know what the size of the moon is? Go. You dummies. Why don't you know that? That's important to your life. How far is it from the earth to the sun? Wait. What is that? Sounds good to me. You liar. All these calculations. So what? See, I'd rather know a few things for certain than a whole lot of things that just ain't so. See, that's what's killing our generation. You know a whole lot of stuff about a whole lot of things that don't mount to a hill of beans. Because you're Twitter. You're t- you've got data coming in your life everywhere. Say, <laughs> uh, have you ever finished the New Testament? Oh, I can't read the Bible. I, I'm t- oh, Susie's dog just died. <laughs> and, and, and Grandma's is at death's door. Pray the Lord, pull her through. You know, uh, you don't know which way to pull. See, you missed it. That was too good. <laughs> what difference does it matter, everything on Twitter? We're being flooded with data, but we're not knowing God any better. What if I told you, uh, let me uh, tell you what an orange tastes like. And I eat it in front of you, but I won't share it with you. Will you know what an orange tastes like? It's sweet. Well, there's a lot of things sweet. Your wife used to be that way. I mean, no, you know, there's a lot of things change. Honey's sweet, but it's not the same as an orange. An apple's sweet. There's some things you can never know except by experience. Tell me all you want about astronomy. I'm just fascinated with astronomy, but I don't know if anybody's telling me the truth, but it is fascinating. Because I don't plan to go to the moon. I met a God that's getting me to heaven. I'm going past the moon. So we write these things that you may know. Because when you believe, you eat the orange. You believe without ever reading a systematic theology book, without ever going to seminary, without ever going to college, I sure enough know when I got eternal life on South 15th Street and 58. I know. I had to go to school to find out everything I got that night. But it didn't make me not have it. I had it, and I've spent the rest of my life trying to find out what I got in a moment. Because I believed. Do you guys amen? You all say amen? Wake up. I'm back. I I don't want you to be quiet. If you go quiet, I'm going to go longer. It's up to you. It's up to you. I've done my prep. You better get your voice oiled. Second of all, you can know God answers prayer. May, th- this is the confidence which we have before him 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he might not hear us. Yell at me. You correct me. You correct me every time I distort it. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There's your first problem. Are you praying according to the will of God? Um, you know, if, let's say, would, God, would it be God's will for you to pray this way? God, I'm a hothead. Deliver me from being a hothead. Is it the will of God that you cool off? Be level-headed and spirit under control? Would God answer that kind of prayer? What about saying, God, I've got one Lexus. I need two more. I don't know what I'll do with them, but would you do it in Jesus' name? Hallelujah. We don't know God. What are you doing with what you got? No, we don't even know. That's all. That's nice. But no, you can't. Uh, what about, uh, Lord, please deliver me from being a stingy type what, Christian? And teach me to be generous. Now, first of all, God would nearly faint if he heard you pray that. Because <laughs> he's just been waiting to answer that. When are you going to ask? Pray his will. It's the will of God that you be a giver. I got Bible all over. I got Bible for it. By the way, pack your Bible when I preach. I got Bible for it. I'm just daring you to disagree. (laughs) And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. God answers prayer done in his will. And tonight I'm going to speak on conditions for answered prayer. That's what we're going to be doing after baptisms. And uh, I think one of the biggest problems we all deal with is unanswered prayer. Uh, What do you do when God doesn't answer your prayer? Uh, Is it ever possible that you can be in the will of God and God say no? You know, I, I think it's uh, when I heard that Steve had this brain tumor from the, because my brother-in-law died of it, I just took it as a death sentence. I said, he's going to die. I didn't know that, but I just assumed it. I, I had another preacher friend. Every time I'd get with him, he said, I'm praying God to heal Steve. I'm praying God to heal Steve. And I said, man, so be it. Man, I'm glad you're praying that way. I can't pray that way. I just don't have that confidence. Don't have enough faith. Whatever. You could be the best person in God's church and ask the best prayer request in the world and God tell you no. And the reason I know that, I have someone praying that their perspiration looks like blood is emanating from their forehead. And he said, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through what I see coming for me at the cross. You're going to abandon me. You're going to forsake me. The earth is going to turn black. 
And the demons of hell are going to dance around me at the cross. And according to Psalms 22, the crowd will become like roaring lions and their tongues will be like the bulls of Bashan in which they will gore me to death before I leave this world. Take this cup from me. Take this hour from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I will be done. I know a lot of foolish people have given God deals. If you don't answer my request, I won't serve you. I knew of an Assembly of God pastor whose wife left him because God wouldn't heal their daughter. So he left her and she started singing at a bar on 2nd and McDonald. While he and the crippled girl that she left him over would sing gospel songs on street evangelism. She played the accordion. He played the guitar. And he would preach the gospel. He's Russell Griffin. And he never remarried. He lived to be 85 and raised that girl, Ramona, who became his pastor's wife. And his wife never returned. You don't heal my girl, you don't get my worship. Ask in his will and know when he says no, he's got something better, something greater, and something you've got to trust him for. Just trust him. He really now goes into verse 16 and 17, and really it could be a sub-point to this prayer. I'm making it a separate point, but it's common in the commentaries. Then now he's going to give you an example of two kinds of people. A sinning brother that he tells you to pray for and another brother in sin that he tells you, I don't know if he's a brother or not, but someone in sin that he doesn't even tell you to pray for. This one is sinning and pray that they'll be restored. This one's in sin and he said the outcome is going to be death. I don't say you should even pray for them. What in the world is he talking about? We kid Paul Crandall. He's supposed to preach this section, but he handed it to me. So, Paul, eat your heart out. Uh, I, I want to give it the category, and I'm safe if I just say this. Sin is, you need to know, sin is always dangerous and may be deadly. I'm safe, right? Sin is dangerous. And it can be deadly. Let me, let me uh, explain what I mean by this. I think a grace church that we think we are. We're big on 1 John 1, 9. If you sin, confess it and he'll forgive you. Right? And, and I think our young people are going to grow up. Hey, he'll forgive me. He'll forgive me. Right? Because we're under grace. Run in grace. You need to know something about sin. When you go into sin, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will give you a pay you don't want to be paid. Uh, Samson died a hero, but he di- died blind. He never did get his sight back. 
And he never did get free from being treated like a slave at the grinding mill, even though he pulled down the towers that killed those incarcerated him, the Philistines. When you fall into sin intentionally, you don't know when you're going to get back. And he's got two categories of men. There's a sinning brother. We ought to pray for him, try to restore him. Now, this brother that he tells you not to pray for that may sin unto death, there's been two primary views. And I grew up on the first view. It was the view that God will physically discipline you to death as a believer if you commit some sin, we're not sure of what it is, but you better know God may kill you. And we've got examples of that. Achan, the wedge of gold, cost him his life and all of his family as the earth opens up and swallows him. You got Saul, he falls on his own sword. The man of God that was anointed, is he in heaven? Are you going to see Saul in heaven? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm just not sure. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, killed. Have you ever lied to the Spirit? Have you ever said you're going to give something you didn't give? Uh, I will let the Lord deal with you. And uh, what about 1 Corinthians 11? People are taking the Lord's Supper at Corinth, coming there to the Lord's table drunk. They're bickering and fighting with brothers there because in the love feast prior to the Lord's Supper, they got drunk. They came in with a bountiful amount of food. They sat next to a probably a slave of the Roman Empire that had little to eat. And this opulent believer never shared their food, never went out of their way to treat them right. And God says, I'm going to kill you at the Lord's table. You're in no condition to take the Lord and remember the Lord because you didn't remember your brother at the dinner. And he said, many among you sleep. You're killed. Many among you are sick. What's happening? The Lord says, I'm judging my people. If you'll judge yourself, he said, I won't judge you. But because you're not judging, I will judge. Every Lord's Supper, we live in the danger of people being killed. We live in the danger of people becoming sick. If you come down here flippantly, if you come down here not reverencing the Lord, you may send a sin unto death. You may get killed. Can God kill you? Oh, come on, you don't believe it. If you're that anemic, you don't believe it. God can kill you, and the church will never miss you. There's some folks I wish he would do the killing and keep the others living longer. God, kill off every murmurer. Kill off every gripe, every stingy one, everyone that doesn't make us fulfill the Great Commission. Lord, they deserve heaven. Take them. Leave the workers, not the critics. But God has to discipline me. God nearly killed me one time because I began to pray against someone I was working with in ministry. I couldn't stand their attitude, and I kept asking God. I just learned about the sin unto death. I said, Lord, may she qualify. Take her home. <laughs> I did. I, this is not, I'm not bragging here. 
I did. I, I told my wife, I'm praying God answer my prayer. Kill her, Lord, in Jesus' name. She was backbiting and carrying on. I said, oh, Lord, take her. We don't need that. Something got mixed up in the prayer, and he nearly killed me. I came down sick. I came down with all kinds of health problems. Uh, man, finally, I'm trying to search in my heart what's going on, what's going on. And the Lord said, you know, the last time we were talking, you wanted sister so-and-so to leave this world. And I'm going to work on you a little bit. You quit prescribing who needs to die and who needs to stay. You get your attitude straight, bud. Do you hear me? I told you to love her. Oh, Lord, I don't want to love her. I want to get her to heaven. <laughs> None of you been there because you're too self-righteous. But South Richmond boys get this way. Kill them, Lord, in Jesus' name. But there's another sin, and I think the majority of men see in the context of this book. He's warning about these false teachers, the Gnostics, that were opposing John, and they were saying, Jesus Christ cannot be the Son of God in flesh. For we as Gnostics believe matter is evil. So if he had a body, he's evil. We believe the gods were spun off, like in the book of Colossians. There's layers of gods until you get the cheapest God at the bottom of the pile, and Jesus is at the bottom of the pile if he became a man. So we don't believe he was really God of God. We don't believe he had flesh and blood and matter, for that's evil. This is Gnostic teaching, 90 AD. Get a Bible dictionary, read it. Gnostic means superior knowledge. And John is saying, we know. We know he came in the flesh. We've seen him. We've handled him. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. We've seen the Son of God. He came by water. We were there at the baptism. He came by blood. We were witnesses at the cross. Matter of fact, Jesus told me to take Mary and become her son and take care of her. I saw a God in flesh. And if you say there's not, you're probably sinning a sin that will result in eternal death. I've been hearing that it doesn't matter how you live by the Gnostics. Morals don't matter. There's no boundaries for right or wrong like America. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I'm going to take God's word for what sin is. I ain't waiting for the court. I got the, the judge has already spoken. They might arrest you. Better men than me have already been arrested. God's church will roll on fine without me. But John said there's boundaries. There's sin. There's right. There's wrong. And the children of God cannot continue doing wrong. The false teachers say it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter. Sex in the Greek thinking, the Greek Gnostics, since matter's evil, sex is an appetite. You satisfy it. You do it. There's no moral boundaries. We don't care if you get her pregnant or not. You just have sex like an appetite. There's no boundaries. There's no marriage covenant. Do it if it feels good. No consequences. John said, if you're such a teacher and you don't repent from that, you're headed to eternal death. 
He said in chapter 1, you're in the realm of darkness already because you're already dead. And unless you believe in Christ, unless Christ makes you see the difference between right and wrong, you are damned. We can't pray to get you out of an individual sin. You're in a hostile stance. And thirdly, if you hate Christians, if you hate Christians and think it's all right, you're going to hell and you're committing the sin unto death that will damn you forever. So pay your money, take your choice. Sin can get you killed eternally or even physically as a believer. I, I am amazed what I see our attitudes about sin. It's this way. We've got more confidence God will forgive me if I sin then we have confidence God can keep me from sin. That's too deep for you. Oh, oh, 1 John 1, 9. He'll forgive. Go ahead and do it. We all do it. Go ahead. Okay. I did it. My wife just filed for divorce. God forgave me. She just left me. I just had a guy with me. Missionary in Columbia, been there 20 years. Forget how many churches he planted. Came to our church at Holy Ghost Hall. He has hepatitis A, B, C, and D. He just got him where in the country he's in. They just gave him another liver because he's on the verge of dying because the liver had died and I was no good. He's as born again as you can get, but he can't reverse what he did in the 60s. You can't reverse the effect of all the drugs he took and all the girls he slept with and all the diseases he was exposed to. But he's God's child, I'll tell you. You'll see him in heaven. Let us be careful about our attitudes about sin. We can know. We can know there's a sin that will kill you. I don't know if it's a specific one. It's either the unbeliever that won't turn or if the believing child of God if it's physical, I just say sin is dangerous. It's lethal. It may cost you your marriage, and you'll still go to heaven. You may be a pastor that wants to sleep with one of the beautiful women in the church. It will cost you your ministry, and you could still go to heaven. You don't know these things because most of you aren't preachers. See, I made a mistake. I said God called me to preach when I was 15. Big mistake. Because everybody knows a teenager can be immoral once in a while, right? It's just hormones. It's just youth. But I, I put on this garment that says, God's called me to preach. Ooh, now I've got double stand. You said you're a Christian. Now you're a preacher. You better never mess up. If you mess up, we know you're a double hypocrite. But besides that, we don't want you preaching to us. You're disqualified. And as the years rolled on, I thought, what a burden at time. Because I actually had a few hormones at 16. There's three of them. You know, I was tempted. I wasn't supposed to be tempted. I'm called to preach. Preachers never get tempted. 
But I had a choice. You can sin, but you may never preach again. You can do it, but you might not come back. You can do it, but you don't know how long you're going to be there. It's like some of you, everyone, I want to backslide a little while. Go ahead. You're just assuming you get to come back. You don't know when you get to come back. You may lose everything before you come back. We can know these things. I know it as a pastor. I've seen many a life that finally got forgiveness that ruined their life in the meantime. Heartbreaking. Verse 18. We know that no one are you following me in the outline? Come on, if you're spiritual, you're following me. You can know, cannot continue in sin when Jesus is your Savior. We know that no one who is born of God, that is, born again children of God, continues to practice sin. He hasn't, he said this over and over, over and over. But he who was born, and this is a tense, a historical aorist, back there in the past, someone born in the past, God the Son, the only begotten Son, that one keeps him, keeps the child of God, and the evil one, the devil, does not touch him. And the word touch him here means to lay hands on him as to do him harm. The devil cannot get his hand on the born-again child of God as to harm him because of the keeping power, and ministry of God the Son. Do you understand that? Uh, I grew up, we used to be in demon casting out services. Anybody been in one of those? Yeah. I want to tell you, you're scared to death. You remember? And I, I used to be told to close the windows after church. I tell you, I was afraid somebody was going to jump out of that window and pull me out. I was scared to death after what I'd seen. And we had people that were, even in my early Christian life, I became afraid of demons and the devil quite a bit. And I had to go to my aunt to help me. I said, I'm just waiting for the devil to ambush me any moment. I keep hearing about the devil, the devil. And, and she told me, just don't worry about it. And that wasn't real scriptural, but I liked it. It felt good. And and so I, I went to my father, and I said, boy, uh, is it true that we believers, uh, the devil can get in there and, and mess us up and everything? And he said, what? What, what are you hearing? I said, I hear that the devil's on the loose, Dad. Aren't you aware? There's a devil out there, and he's after us. And he had that, my brother Paul gets it. It's a smirk. It's kind of like a. Son, I get to hear him. Son, let me tell you something. Your daddy could sleep in a pile of demons a mile deep, and they can't hurt me. I'd look for the verse. I've never found it. <laughs> uh, I said, what do you mean? I'm sealed in Christ. I've got omnipotent hands around me. Somebody's guarding me, 
And the God of this age is no match for the creator of all things. He created the devil. He's got him on a chain. He's got him on a time card. And when he does his purpose, he's going to incarcerate him for eternity. He said, I'm in the hands of the creator. You would get happy if you knew what I said. Yeah. Loosen up, you deadbeat saints. If that doesn't get you, you need to get saved. That's one of the greatest things I ever heard. You mean God keeps his own? Well, the devil's out there. Pilgrim said he's traveling along the road to the celestial city. I think it was near Doubting Castle that when he got close to it, all of a sudden the roar of lions was coming after him. And he was frozen in his journey, and he nearly turned back because he didn't know how he could stay on the path towards the celestial city with these two lions that were there. Eventually, in his journey, he gets past. He decides to go on, even in the midst of great danger. But he said, as I went further on my journey, I looked back, and I saw what I didn't see on the other side, that the lions were chained. They were chained. I'm in a world that the devil's running, but he's going to say in verse 19, I'm not of this world, and my enemy has been chained by the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's running to him. He doesn't run God's people. We're greater. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 6. Stand on the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, and you shall resist the wiles of the devil. He's a defeated foe. Don't let him terrify you. We stand in the might of our conquering lion. Jesus, he was a lamb on the cross, but after the cross, he's become a conquering lion. You're not serving some timid, weak, puny Savior that trembles about the devil. One time, we were in a prophecy meeting and someone prophesied over our family that we were all going to be killed at a certain juncture. And so as I hear the story, my mom and Hazel were nervous wrecks in this certain juncture down in the valley. And uh, they, they were, what are we going to do? Will we make it? That prophecy went over us and my dad's driving along and my mom said, Lawrence, Lawrence, this is the corner. And he says, oh, he just accelerated. Oh. So wait, wait, Lawrence, don't you know we just had a prophet? She said, oh, oh, that truck passed yesterday. <laughs> Little prophecy at the meeting. I'm in the hands of the creator God. No evil thing shall befall us. Let me tell you, the truck didn't hit him. The truck wasn't there. And the sister had eaten too much pizza. See? You can't be letting everybody scare you about the devil. I'm being guarded by omnipotence. I'm being prayed for. I'm, I'm surrounded. Peter said, you are being kept by the power of God. First Peter 1, 5. You mean the power of God is wrapped up in keeping a bunch of weak folks like us? You better believe it. The gates of hell won't prevail against my church. We got a bunch of timid saints walking through the earth. You know what I loved about Pentecostals? We take on anything. When you get Baptist, you get a little bit more conservative. You pray about it longer. You know, and you never do do it. But these 
Pentecostal. They laid hands on it, went, jumped out. And you say, you big idiot. They come back. We come back rejoicing. The demons were subject to us. Diseases were healed. And we come back dancing. Our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We need to get some boldness in the church. What are we acting so afraid about? He will empower us to obey his commission. Instead of us sitting around discussing, does that mean us? It means us. Go. Go. Hang out in Jerusalem until you get enough power to go. Well, it's good to preach again. <laughs> Verse 19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You can know you belong to God and not to this world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I, I don't belong. The word, Britney Spears doesn't tell me how to dress, and Hollywood doesn't tell me what's cool. I'm marching to a different drummer. I'm marching to the one that won the battle. I'm, you better be sure who you're following. I'm not of this. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. I'm not of it. I love not its dazzling and its charms. I'm living on the hallelujah side. I've anchored in Jesus. All the what? The, I've opened towards Jesus all the windows of my soul. And I'm living. I'm living on the hallelujah side. How many of you folks remember that? That one stanza. I, I do not love her dazzle and her charm. For I'm living on the hallelujah side. He he tells me what my style ought to be. Him. Christians always have got to look weird to this world. No matter how stylish you dress, you are weird. And you are weird. Because you belong to a different king than the king of this world. And we know, and we know that the Son of God has come. Hallelujah, he has and has given us understanding so that we may know experientially him who is true. And we not only know him, but we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He sounds like Paul using in Christ. He said, I not only belong to Christ, I'm in Christ, which is Pauline verbiage 115 times. We're in Christ. In Christ. I'm in the city of refuge. I'm in the ark. I'm in the place of protection. I'm in Christ. I belong to Christ. You can know that you know and that you're in Christ. And because the other men have modeled quitting on time, I must quit. But don't get used to it. Little children, guard yourselves from idols, a certainty that you can count on. The gods of this world will never give up trying to get your affection, your attention, and your adoration. All these rival gods. Let's, let's take, for instance, we made a choice as leaders not to show up every Sunday night. And I had other preachers said, if you ever drop it, you'll never go back because you'll get used to all the rest you feel and whatever. And that's true. So we decided to do it. People got to get kids ready for school Monday and, and they got to watch their favorite program. You know, we got to cut them slack. 
But what amazes me, there's nothing wrong with the boat in the water. But when the water gets in the boat, there's danger. That uh, the, uh, the gods, I know men that will work 60 hours a week because they need all this stuff, you know. We got this. Oh, oh, and, and we've all just accepted the fact that both have to work because kids just automatically do without parents. It's just the marriage. Because the house is worth more than someone's raising the kids. I mean, anybody could raise kids. Look at the kinds of kids we're raising in America. Because money is the God. I don't think there's anything in youth culture that's challenging them today for any great cause that I know of except money. I might be wrong. I grew up this Peace Corps. There were civil rights. Uh, there was, of course, Vietnam, the tragic thing that took so many of the guys I grew up with, came back in body bags. But what is the cause in America? All these bids on our time, our money, our attention. Uh, the gods of this age. Turn with me to a passage and I close. Turn to Colossians. Colossians. Right after Ephesians, I thought, but they put Philippians in there since I looked last. Look at uh, Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Take a dead man's stance towards the, the appeal of immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Greed is the uh, word strong desire. It can be a good word. It's used of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit has strong desires. But it greed, which amounts to idolatry. I got to have more. I got to have more. And isn't that the American system? That's why advertisement just thrives in our culture. And what programs we try to watch do you have any programs where there's five commercials in between and you didn't want any of it? Because we're used to being sold. You need this. You need this. You need this. And I'm thinking there, no, I don't. But I guess if you said so, maybe I do. So I'll go out and charge it. I don't, but let's say this is a marriage. I'll charge it and then I get home, have it three days. I didn't want that. That's boring. What did I buy? I don't know. Huh. And just keep on, keep on, keep on. And, oh, you, you owe 20000 on your credit. How did we ever get there? Hmm. And they're only charging 19% interest. And if I don't pay on time, there's such a nice bank, they just jump it to 29 Man, they're so nice to let me have a credit card. That's called legal robbery. That's legal robbery in the name of white-collar crime. And who falls for it the most? Those who have the least to pay. That's why we gotta, we've got to legalize all this gambling because all your rich folks are down there. 
Are you kidding? The lotto. I just saw a guy the other day. He looked like he needed a lotto. He needed a latte or something. And he said, I want a, what is it? What's the new one? Highball? Oh, Powerball. Highball's the drink. I'm sorry. I've been out. I've been saved so long. I, I need a super, you know, whatever. Uh, he's just forking it out. One of, what's his odds? One out of, you know, some of you are buying them. You know, figure out your odds. I know you're going to tithe on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're looking for the check. Uh, and he said, right here, our problem is all the bidding greeds for more, for more. And, I, well, I, I would teach. I'd help in the youth group. But, man, I'm busy. I got hobbies. And, and I, my job, I'm working overtime because I'm hoping to get that boat for Lake Shasta. Because you can't have a good family life without an expensive boat that you use twice a year. Yeah, I just got to get it. And I can't get ministry. Someday I'll give him what's left. Why, no, honey, we don't want you when you're, you know, just a wreck. We like to get you when there's a little twinkle in the eye. Especially when you put you in front of young people. Serve Jesus, kids. Come on. We want you while you're not completely ugly. When are you going to put God first? Or you just keep lusting for more? And inventing a thousand excuses. We're going to sing a closing song. But this is so corny. You, you, you'll put up with the corniness of it because I'm going to enable many of you to lie now. Hymns are a great way to learn to lie and get used to it because it goes like this. I, now watch, I surrender all. Now, now it, it, it may sound a little drab, Deborah. But I wouldn't sing it if you're going to lie. Don't, don't, we'll just hum. We, we'll make it. I was singing a little song this morning I grew up with. Dear Lord, I'll be your witness if you'll help my weakness. Surely there's a work that I can do. Even though it's humble, help my will to crumble. Even though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Jesus, use me. Please, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. I used to sing that in youth camp and weep because all the time I was singing it, I was saying, I'm weak, but I want to be used of God.